and welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast. I'm Steve McCaskill, technology editor, with another big guest. This time round, I'm speaking to David Jackson, Vice President of Brand at EA Sports, about EAFC, the new name for what was previously known as FIFA. We talked about the big split, how you replace a 30-year-old brand with a new one from scratch, and what the future holds for EAFC and a multi-billion dollar series. So David, first things first, how has the launch gone from a commercial and a critical perspective? It's been an incredible moment for the entire company here, Steve. You know, I think EA has been very intentional about our approach over the last, call it, 24 months as we moved to this position of creating a new platform for our global football business. We've been very, very pleased with the critical reception of not only the console game that we've delivered this year, but the other products that we have within the stable of EA Sports FC. So we have a mobile game that's available all over the world that hit 23 million DAU very recently, which is an astronomical figure for any mobile game and certainly a new record for us. We've had some brilliant performance across our online business as well. And then we'll shortly be entering into the first competition of our FC Pro platform, which is our new esports opportunity that's now available to us. As it pertains to the console game, you know, we'll be releasing some figures very shortly, but we're thrilled to announce, you know, it's keeping pace with our expectations. It's bucking a number of industry trends, which is seeing a little bit of softness right now. And it appears to us like the whole world of football is coming with us on this journey and our players are loving getting into FC24. So it's been a little bit of a journey to get here. And I just want to know what your reaction was when you realized that you had to create a new brand to replace the brand that you spent three decades building up. Yeah, it was a pretty immediate realization. Having been in the room when we made the decision, it was an incredible opportunity. You know, I think EA as an organization is very deliberate, very intentional about any decision that it makes. And we made this decision after months of deliberation, months of modeling, whether that be financial or looking at the cultural aspects and the critical reception of the decision that we were likely to take. It's daunting. Sure, there's 30 years of deep feeling for this product and there's multi-generational engagement in prior FIFA products that we built. But the overriding sense was just one of immense opportunity, you know, the opportunity to build something not from scratch at all. We're taking an enormous amount of equity, as I said, from those games that were built previously. It's still an EA Sports game and all of the value and quality that comes with that. But the opportunity to build something that you start with that blank piece of paper and construct what we hope will be a long-lived and well-loved platform for global football is the opportunity of a lifetime in any organization and certainly for me and my team. And of course, you know, FIFA was one brand, but EA Sports is another, and that's something that players will know what comes with that. So I'm guessing you were confident that that would translate to any new brand and you'd be able to take players with you. Yeah, we always had immense confidence in that. You know, EA Sports for the last longer than 30 years, you know, it started with our American football franchise, Madden game series, has always uh, decided that it wanted to hold a mirror up and be a reflection of the real world of a sport. You know, if people are quite familiar with if it's in the game, it's in the game, and we mean it. Uh, authenticity is a core tenet of what we think makes uh, an effective EA sports product. And it's our job, you know, sometimes fantastically, but always authentically, to put fans in an environment that immerses them in the culture, the story, and the truths of the sports that they love. So we knew that we would get to a place of deep authenticity with any future football product. We still have 19,000 athletes in the game. There's over 700 teams across 30 leagues all over the world, massive, massive IP like the Premier League or UEFA Champions League through Commebol, Copa Libertadores, Bundesliga and La Liga, which is now La Liga EA Sports. 
we knew that authenticity would always be there and we deliver that on behalf of our fans. You also get deep innovation. So every single year, our products evolve, scale and grow in new and innovative ways to ensure that we keep pace with players' expectations and grow our innovation kind of capacity year over year. Some years are more measurable than others. And I think in this product, we've been able to deliver game-changing gameplay innovation through volumetric data capture. So the ability for us to record in real time through cameras in real world stadiums, the best footballers in the world, men's and women's footballers competing at the very highest level, take that skeletal and muscular data, the player positioning data, triangulate that through our proprietary machine learning algorithm, and then directly translate that onto the pitch for our fans is something that doesn't exist anywhere else. We obviously have the privilege of being able to play some of these games in the test phase. And when we get test bed, either footage or we can actually get on the sticks and play, you can notice immediately the fluidity, the kind of silkiness of the movement, the fact that the players feel more grounded in their environment this year. Every year the games evolve and scale, but this year we feel it's a step change from where we were even in the previous product, the FIFA 23 product, which was a record-breaking product here for us at EA. And we feel like we've gone measurably further with FC24. So authenticity and innovation, always two halves of the whole in any product we build at EA Sports. And we deeply hope the players love what we've built over the last 24 months. You and I, we're talking about, you know, the we're going to talk the business side of it, the backend stuff that the average player won't see or perhaps won't consider as much. But the most important thing to them is how the game plays. And I just want to, was there pressure to make EAFC fundamentally different from FIFA to reflect the name change? Or did you want to make it as similar as possible so everyone knew it's business as usual? This is still the game that you know and love. It's still us. What was the priority there? It's a great question, Steve. I mean, it's sort of the challenge that we face every single year. Football doesn't change as much as people might like to think that it does. It doesn't change seismically year over year in the real world. You know, there are new innovations, things like VAR come in and do create step changes and moments in time in the real world sport. But the game doesn't fundamentally shift all that much. It's a bit more of an evolutionary progress rather than a revolutionary one. And as you might imagine, when we entered into this decision to create this new platform, we conducted various different pieces of research. One of them in particular was a deep piece of research with core players to understand their expectations of any new product. And we heard slightly contradictory things. One was, don't mess with my game. Don't mess with the thing that I've invested in and loved and spent my time, effort and energy in for the last however many years. But also give me a reason to believe that it's new and different. And for our really talented studio teams and our development partners here, finding that fine line between don't break it, but create it is hard. I'd like to think that we've achieved that to the extent that we hoped we would with the new console product. You know, you can see things like Hypermotion V and the innovation that we've built into live service and the new career mode features and the new front-end UX UI, which immediately puts you in a different place to where you'd ever been before in a FIFA product are new. But when you get on the pitch and when you're playing games with your friends and when you're connecting across the world with millions, if not tens, and eventually hundreds of millions of fans as we go through the product cycle, you are feeling like you're playing the real world of global football. And that's our job. So we found that fine line. We're far from perfect. I don't think we ever will be. But I think the team did a phenomenal job of addressing that feedback and that research really well. 
when the news broke, I think myself and others were speculating about what name you would choose. And I thought you could use the old, uh, basically FIFA Ultimate Team, just call it FUT or something like that. So how did you settle on the name EAFC? Again, I'm, I'm showing my age a little bit, but I remember when that was more of a community feature. I think it was FIFA 11 or FIFA 12 that came in. So why did you settle on that name specifically? And why did you settle on the logo? What was the thinking behind that? It is, as always, deeply dimensionalized. You know, what's in a name, really? And the answer is, in our industry, quite a lot. We do have some proprietary IP here. So you mentioned Ultimate Team. There are things that immediately connect you to EA Sports football products, things like career mode, things like pro clubs, even things like kickoff are kind of owned by us in the minds of millions of football fans. But we wanted something that was easy to comprehend. We're a truly global product. So even calling it football or soccer or calcio or football with a U or football with an accent is kind of tough because you're immediately geolocating yourself in a specific place. And that's not what we are or who we are. We are the world's game and we are for everyone. Football clubs, a lot of characters. It's a lot of syllables. I don't think it's easy to say, are you going to have a game of EA Sports Football Club 24, you know, around the water cooler or on the playground? So we wanted a, a diminutive. There are then some indicators from the wider industry that we have, the wider world of video games or interactive experiences. You tend to find that two-syllable names work particularly well. We had one in FIFA. We have them in Madden. On EA Sports, we've used the acronym of a league as well. So we've used UFC or F1 or NHL. So we had some indicators there. You tend to find as well that names of more than two syllables get given a diminutive. So Call of Duty is COD and Grand Theft Auto is GTA. So we wanted something short. We wanted something that was true as well of the real world of football. We found that FC is either a suffix or a prefix works really well. I think something like 13 out of 29 MLS clubs are something FC or FC something. And we looked around the world, similar in the Chinese Super League, similar in the Saudi Pro League, and certainly similar in Western Europe. So that diminutive, that kind of FC, is a great way of grounding people in the fact that you're playing a football experience. doesn't matter what you call the game. It's a football experience that you're about to have. And we've seen it from other partners as well. You know, there is PlayStation FC, there's Nike FC, there's Red Bull FC. So we had a number of considerations to make as we moved in this direction. And then the two final ones are, it needs to fit in. So it needs to sit alongside some of that famous IP that I mentioned previously. It needs to not show up next to the Premier League in a way that clashes with that or creates tension with that. Same with UEFA, same with Commonwealth. But it also needs to stand out. You know, I think we counted there are about 9 million FCs out there in the world. So ours had to be distinct and specific. And I think you'll find, and I think if people have seen, you know, the identity that we constructed to be able to stand out in the world was very deliberate. And then you go into testing. And I think there are some testing uh, considerations that we made around how you say the diminutive, how you communicate the acronym. It's FC to you and I, perhaps, but if you're Spanish speaking, it's FSA. Um, and we were very, very deliberate again in making sure that we audibly voiced the acronym to make sure that it became universally understood that what we were building was EA Sports FC. I mean, obviously, I know that you have a lot of licenses. There's, I don't know how many thousands of players, how many hundreds of clubs and leagues. And that's important for the authenticity you talk about. But, you know, one of the reasons that you got the FIFA name in the first place was because the need to have a license on the title of the game. You know, it's Madden, it's NHL. So was it nervy from your point of view, not having that title license, going at creating your own IP effectively? I think it was necessary 30 years ago. You know, EA Sports had a very specific approach to creating the conditions where, it, where our titles became the de facto official title in that sport. So you mentioned a couple, you know, we had Madden NFL, we had NHL, 
We've had NBA games in the past where the license is everything to that particular sport because without it, you kind of don't get the sport. You certainly can't have NHL hockey without that license. FIFA is not the sport of football. FIFA is the global governing body. We had a fantastic relationship with them for the 30 years of our partnership, which did authenticate and validate our product versus anybody else's as as the official one, as the authentic one. But that's just not the case with the licensing that FIFA offers. You know, they don't offer what the NFL offers. You know, to create an NFL game, you broadly need two licenses. You need the NFL license, and it's a fantastically managed, brilliantly constructed set of licenses that they package up into one license to make it easy for partners. And then you need the NFL PA to make sure that the player likenesses and imagery are in the product. With FIFA, you don't get any of that. So all of our licenses, whether it's the Premier League, whether it's individual players, whether it's individual clubs, are all licensed exclusively through us. They're licensed individually through us. We have a direct relationship with all of those licenses, mainly because FIFA doesn't offer that. The only time that they do offer a license for in-game, but not in marketing and not in commercialization is every four years for a World Cup. And obviously that happens on a biannual cycle now because they have men's and women's. So it was actually easier than I think people think. The biggest hurdle we had to get over was to communicate to fans that what was FIFA and the promise of that product now exists in this new title called FC. And that all of that authenticity, all of those 19,000 athletes, all of those 700 plus teams and those 30 plus leagues came with us and wanted to be part of this future with us. And again, as we've gone to market and as we've launched, we've seen that our brilliant partner network, you know, as I said, the Premier League, La Liga EA Sports, the world of retired athletes and legendary players like Beckham and Zidane have come with us and they're going to be part of our platform for a very long time to come. Yeah, if we could talk a bit more how you did communicate that from a marketing perspective. I mean, when this story broke, it, again, show made, it immediately reminded me of when Sports Interactive split with IDOS and, and they had to create a new brand. Fortunately, you didn't have to compete with the old brand because they, got to, <laughs> they had to compete with Championship Manager, which at the, at the time it wasn't a foregone conclusion. And they said that their, their community and the, and the word of mouth helped them communicate that change. And of course, you do have a community and you've also done quite a bit of marketing. You've, you've signed some new partnerships. So once you decide on the new name, EAFC, how did you go about communicating that change? Um, how long was that process? Just give us a bit of a background into that marketing strategy to make sure that fans knew that this was still the game. Yeah, I mean, we did look at some proxies out there, or we tried to find some in the marketplace. You mentioned the Sports Interactive and IDOS one around football manager or championship manager. And in that one, you know, there's a couple of really brilliant articles written about that moment. It was one party kept the name and one party kept the game. And that was broadly true of us. But I think the scale that we're talking about, you know, the orders of magnitude of this platform versus even theirs back then is, is quite different. It's also been referenced like whether it's the attempt to rebrand coca-cola i've heard from a number of people as well it's kind of at that scale the difference for us would be it's an attempt to rebrand coca-cola at the same time as another brand can build a product that's in a red can called coca-cola like it's it's even bigger than that in terms of the ambition that we had and the you know the challenge that we had to overcome so there weren't really that many proxies out there in the marketplace so what do you do you rely on what you know to be true of your own organization of yourselves as i said at the start ea is a very deliberate very intentional organization it likes to make very data guided or data informed decisions about the processes that it undertakes but then there is an element of of 
sort of the magic that goes along with, alongside the science. And that is where the kind of storytelling comes in. It's the old adage of how do you eat an elephant sort of one bite at a time. We broke the next two years down from the moment that we made that decision into a series of critical milestones where we broke down audience and you would have to understand at what point do you talk to the market? At what point do you talk to the player? At what point do you talk to your community in the wider world of global football? And those moments are discrete sometimes and sometimes they're connected. It's tough to even give an earnings call or a quarterly report now that isn't read by a player in their bedroom. You know, all of the world is connected. So we broke it down into a series of moments. We knew we were going to have to communicate the name before we even had a logo or a video or any of these things that, you know, marketers like me like to have to pretend that we have an impact. We didn't have any of that. We needed to do that quite early on. We did that in May of 2022, where we spoke to our broad global community about the new name because we didn't have that logo, but we had a ton of these amazing partners. What we did is we just took FC, the acronym, you know, in Helvetica font, we took the identity of an organization like Liverpool with a very specific font that they have, with a very specific set of imagery that they have, and we created a logo for them. We created a logo for them that said FC, that they were going to communicate on their channels. We did that for over 250 partners, as big as the Premier League and as small as an individual athlete. And we had the whole world communicate the name on our behalf through their identity to their network, to their community, which worked very well and established the platform of the name. Once you've done the name, you then go about building the identity, all those assets and those pieces of content I mentioned earlier, and you construct that. We had some brilliant creative partners in helping us construct that. We delivered the identity in a key moment, you know, with the football season in a really kind of high heat moment in April of 2023, April of this year where, again, all of the identity went live all at the same time across hundreds of matches, hundreds of pieces of media, where we communicated that this was FC and this was the new news that was coming to the football world very soon. We then allowed for that to kind of find its feet through our social channels and marketing channels, our owned and earned and paid and shared media. And then we got ready for the launch, and we had this incredible launch moment in Amsterdam that can be watched on YouTube, where we had Again, the whole world of football with us, we had partners from all over the world. We had some brilliant athletes come on stage to talk to our community about their expectations and, and how they're connected to the game. We had our CEO, Andrew Wilson, come and talk about the ambition that we had for this new platform. And the ambition is enormous. It's going to go from what it is today, which is 150 players all over the world, to what we think we can achieve, which is a billion football fans. Now, we're not going to do that by making a slightly better FC game every single year. We're going to have to do that in new innovative ways, whether that be broadcast and media content, whether that be creating community forums or investing in and impacting the real world of football. We have a lot of plans and a lot of ambition here at EA Sports to build a global football platform powered, yes, by video games, but many things as well. And once we'd had the Amsterdam moment and we read the data and we understood that the vast majority of football fans around the world understood that what was FIFA is now FC, we felt confident to be able to move through a pretty standard launch for us. You know, we're pretty good at this stuff. We'd spent two years doing things that we'd never done before. And then we moved into this position where we are doing things now that we've done for the last 30 years. So launch content, TV campaigns, making sure that the product lands in the hands of fans really effectively and tuning and adding patches and data updates so that players get the very, very best experience as soon as they get into the product. You know, we're about a week past launch having this conversation today. A really thrilling moment for the whole organization to move past September the 29th and, and deliver it into the hands of fans. 
But yeah, we did it. We did it programmatically. We did it progressively. It was a massive undertaking that we're thrilled to have delivered the first phase of, but it's a multi-year endeavor. You know, it's not going to be successful out of the gate and we're not going to be able to claim that it's done and the job is complete. We're going to know in two, three, five years time whether we delivered on our ambition and we met the expectations of our fans. Yeah, it's an interesting point about, you know, art imitating life and life imitating art and how EA Sports and in particular and video games are now part of the sports industry and then they're an important channel. So now that you have your own IP, uh, you've, you've, you've moved on, you've gone past launch. What can you do differently now that you weren't able to do before, either from what you offer players or from a, from a commercial perspective or from a partnership point of view? What does that, I guess, these new freedoms let you do that you couldn't do before? Yeah, you used exactly the right word. You know, we considered it the opportunity for us to, to create the conditions where we were free to imagine a different future. That's not to say that, you know, FIFA had shackled us up or there was deep limitation or restriction. They just, like many IP partners, sell you a category. And our category was 11 v 11 simulation football video games. What that precludes you from building is a media platform or a social network or the ability to go and pitch for broadcast highlights or live games or build arcade football simulation or many of the things that I think our players will expect from us in the future were kind of precluded from us under the license. So the first phase of it for us is the mindset shift. It is the ability to have our freedom and have our really talented studio, creative marketing partners imagine a different future. So the first example of that is certainly some of the brand partnerships that we've been able to build since moving away from FIFA. They rightly had what they call their OLPs, and they are the traditional FIFA partners of Coca-Cola or Adidas and, and many of the new partners that they've signed more recently. You know, we're not in the business of creating one set of limitations from another. So we have a brilliant relationship with Adidas. They're a fantastic partner of ours, but we want to work with Nike too. You know, the whole world of football isn't located within one apparel partner or frankly, one airline or one gaming console partner or one soft drink. So we wanted to create these brand adjacencies that allowed us to communicate with players in a new way. We've seen that really early. In fact, as of today, our, our piece of TV content went live with Vinny Jr., with PepsiCo. We have a brilliant relationship with their team. Mark Kirkham leads a brilliant team of, sort of sports marketers there. We created this piece of content. We're going to allow our fans to get content in our game through purchasing PepsiCo products, giving them the ability to access new and novel content through our product. That was precluded from, from us before. We wouldn't have been able to do that. But one that we're really proud of is some of the work that we've done and will progressively do with Nike. So the early access event in Ultimate Team that's deeply engaged in, in our product this year was a Nike Mad Ready campaign. A number of their athletes supported us in that. And we were able to access Nike community channels and social channels Again, gathering a huge amount of heat and brand energy around this new platform, this new product. That's just not something we could have done before. You know, there are communities and audiences that were precluded from us reaching previously. But that's kind of just, that's the first millimeter in the opportunity that we see ahead of us. We do see the ability to create broadcast content. We do see the ability to tell stories through networks like Netflix and Apple TV. Um, the best example I could give was, if we wanted to have a TV channel, what would we have called it previously? And what would you call it? You can't call it EA Sports because it might suggest that there's more in there than just global football, which there wouldn't have been. And you can't call it FIFA because they already have one. So now it's EA Sports FC. Uh, we do see an opportunity in the future for us to grow and scale into those 
sort of passive forms of fandom, whether it be broadcast TV content, journalism, areas of live scores, highlights, and content that lives in those spaces is now available to us. And we don't really see a limit to the ambition that we have for this new platform. Yeah, I think another thing to point out is that video games are often the main way that many people interact with sport. And it's definitely to many people, you know, FIFA was a video game. It wasn't a governing body and it's how they interact with clubs, how they interact with players. And these licensing agreements have gone from being cash transactions to being genuine partnerships. So how has that shifted over time and how will EFC help clubs, leagues, federations, brands reach this subset of of football fan that doesn't watch matches that might not go to games? How can you satisfy that demand? Yeah, another great question. I mean, I'll give a couple of examples. You know, some of these relationships are somewhat transactional still. You know, some of the smaller partnerships that we have really are, we need investment, you need content, let's come to an agreement, and we do. Um, The bigger ones that we have, the more progressed ones that we have, I'll give the example of La Liga, are ones where we do genuinely feel like we can have a major impact, not only on that league and its fans, but also the sport in the regions where that league is famous. So for the next multiple years, that league is going to be called La Liga EA Sports. Uh, the opportunities that we have there are many invected. So one is that we've taken broadcast content from that platform. We've taken camera footage from stadiums in that league, and that's powering our Hypermotion V technology. That's access to content that we wouldn't have had had we not had this relationship with them. We're also investing together in a partnership called FC Futures. That's our plan to invest $10 million over the next multiple years, which frankly we will exceed, in being able to deliver safe places for young fans to play football in the real world, pitches and places, environments that are sort of effective and safe for young coaches to go and coach their teams on. We delivered one of those in Madrid very recently with Fernando Morientes in the league, and it was very successful. We'll be delivering what we're calling packs, but it's equipment packs, really. So that's cones and balls and bibs, the fundamentals that you need to be able to learn the core skills of the game. We're using our in-game engine with La Liga to be able to create practices and put those practices on free-to-air platforms like YouTube so young coaches can go there, download a practice or a suite of practices and be able to use those to augment their coaching style and their methodology of imparting their knowledge on young fans. And then finally, the partners who are part of this FC Futures approach are critical in terms of word of mouth, their access to fan community groups, their ability to engage teams and the clubs that are part of that league is unmatched and something that we couldn't do alone. So kind of what we're calling the four Ps of FC Futures in pitches, packs, partners and practices really come together strongly so that we can have an impact on the real world sport with those partners. That's not a transactional relationship. You know, that is a deep partnership. We've taken the broadcast overlays from the real world of La Liga and put them into our game. We're sharing our in-game data with La Liga so that they can get smarter about what their fans want to see in their broadcast packages. It's a truly innovative partnership, and this is year one. You know, we, we fully expect for that to grow and scale over time. We hold each other to account when it comes to things like tackling some of the ills that exist in the game as well, whether that's racism, which persists in a very ugly way in the real-world sport as well as the digital one. We want a partner to elevate and accelerate a female perspective in the world of football and make sure that we give that opportunity the right seedbed to grow from. Um, And La Liga have been very, very intentional about addressing some of the challenges that they had last season, you know, when it pertains to racism and, and frankly, in Spain, as it pertains to 
some gender discrimination that is a disgrace and, and happens and then will be sort of fought endlessly by ourselves and them too. So you have to have a fantastic relationship and a great partnership to be able to even enact some of those sort of joint endeavors, those joint ventures. And with a partner like La Liga and brilliant partners at places like UEFA and the Premier League too, we have an endless opportunity to do some real good in the world of football, which we then redeem value of because if there are more football fans, there are more people playing our product. One thing that you don't have with the FIFA partnership now is that basically I'm leading into esports again, you are the FIFA Interactive World Cup, for example, and that in itself is quite a privilege. You are the ultimate tournament in that regard. But how is the AFC going to tackle esports? Um, obviously, a lot of clubs have esports professionals. It's not as popular in esports as like, you know, League of Legends or something like that, but it's still a very influential, influential space. So how do you plan to build that out with EAFC? What sort of tournaments are you going to have to replace what you might have had before? I know you've got individual partnerships with Premier League and MLS and what have you. What does esports on EAFC look like? As an organization, we've been really diligent, really intentional about esports across all of the various different games that we deliver. Football, global football was no different, but global football was... Uh, nuance, shall we say, in terms of licensing, uh, in terms of the dimensionalized nature of the various different leagues and their objectives within esports. You even have clubs who have big ambitions in the space. And we had to find a way to operationalize all of that and condense or synthesize all of that intent into something that was meaningful and then negotiate with FIFA. FIFA, I think, from their perspective, wanted to own not only the real world of football, but the digital version too. That's very challenging when we have as I said, you know, 19,000 athletes, 700 teams and 30 leagues in the game who all have their own ambition in the space as well. Some of the timings weren't perfect. I think as a result, the FIFA World Cup, the interactive version of it, that is, it was a limited platform. It was a very high quality one. And the players playing those esports athletes are some phenomenal individuals who compete at the very highest level with the highest level of skill. But we weren't able to create the stage and the platform for them that we would like as Electronic Arts. And frankly, even probably that FIFA would like through some of the limitations that we created in the partnership. That's gone away now. So the FIFA Interactive World Cup is not something that's anything to do with us, certainly anymore, whether it continues or not. But we have what we're calling FC Pro. That's our platform. Uh, There are opportunities for fans all over the world to engage in that platform. They can qualify through the game. You don't need a special license. You don't need to be an esports professional to play in that. And that's the start point for a process that flows all the way through the season, through all of our great partners. So there's the E-Premier League, there's E-La Liga, there's a multiple different E-Champions League type approaches. And each league will have its moment to shine, find its qualifier, find its person that wants to represent that tournament and that IP in a grand final that will happen sometime in the summer. So we recently launched FC Pro. We recently announced the cadence of those events and how the qualifiers work. It's a much simplified, much stratified system. It makes a lot of sense to our professionals. It also makes a lot of sense to fans. Really hard to follow the 17 different qualifiers, tournaments, invitationals, friendlies that were happening in the previous world, which all sort of coalesced into a a final that felt sort of suboptimal previously. Now you can follow and track progress of either your favorite athletes or the clubs or the esports teams that they represent all the way through a season in a very simplified way. And then hopefully there'll be a ton of engagement poured into that grand final in the summer when there's, you know, a moment to celebrate the world of football interactively across the world. And, you know, sort of wrap up, the, the, the rebranding has happened. The game is in players' hands. 
where does it go from here? Where's the future of the series as EAFC? The Monday was a holiday here in Vancouver. So our biggest studio, we have multiple studios around the world, but our biggest studio here is is in Canada, in Vancouver. And we woke up, it was a, it was a holiday on Monday. And it's not anticlimactical at all because you are in the thick of launch still. There are, you know, server questions to answer. There are some challenges in the marketing that we need to resolve. There are some amazing kind of results that we want to condense and share. And there's lots of different pieces of work going on. But the thing that really stared myself and my, my studio GM and my partner in the face was genuinely, where do we go from here? You know, it is a bit like delivering an Olympics where you kind of inhale or exhale after the moment and then you go again. And we're going to go again. You know, we already are meeting this week around future products uh, that we're looking to build, kind of the next season, the next year of, of the great products that we just launched. We also are pretty intentional about long-term planning here. So we know where we'd like to be in five years' time. We don't know exactly how we're going to get there. You know, we don't know what that fifth year looks like, but we've got the key indicators to help us decide. And then there are investments we want to make. There are some decisions we need to take as we grow and scale this platform for the future. And we're doing that deeply in the service of football fans all over the world. And we hope that they'll enjoy the plans that we have and the opportunity that we now have to be able to meet them where they are and deliver on their expectations. So it's a massively energizing moment for all of EA Sports, for all of Electronic Arts, but certainly for this small population of developers, marketers, creators, here in Vancouver, we can't wait to get after it and we can't wait to show you what we have in store. David, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Steve.